0: Welcome, everybody, to you, uh, the Haunted Hacker podcast number. Kevin, give me a number for this podcast.
1: It is. Um, help me out here.
0: Uh, between uh, one hundred and fifty and two hundred.
1: One ninety nine.
0: One ninety nine. That's a great number. Awesome. Great so, number. so, podcast number one ninety nine. Um, and tonight we have Kevin Thomas. Uh, before we get started, I'll go over a little bit of uh, news and what's going on in the community. Uh, we just finished our. Uh, year anniversary kevin was on that show with us um and i'm still editing some of that to uh post up uh on youtube um other than that i just got done speaking with for dhs and the next one i believe is going to be for a think tank in europe uh and a couple podcasts coming up um, for other people Uh, with that i'll go ahead and get started kevin um Glad to have you on the show. I'm really, uh, i really, really appreciate you coming on and, and spending yeah, some time with me on, on the weekend. Um, why don't you give us a little bit about your background and who you are, and uh, we'll go from there?
1: So I'm Kevin, and uh, you know, again, Mike, thanks for having me, and uh, really excited to be here, especially at a medium like this, Taunted Hacker, and you really be able to, you know, express some of the views and be with some great friends. And uh, you know, the my first introduction really to the entire group was last week during the annual celebration. And, you know, I really, it really felt like home. It really felt like, wow, this is somewhere I can come and speak and not have to be judged and worry about what I say. And I'm with like-minded people. And it was very exciting. And I think what's really, really amazing here is the community that we have here with this podcast. Um, I think people are genuine. I think they have an amazing background, uh, interesting group of stories that really made them what they are and defined them as human beings. And we do have that commonality. So myself, I uh, grew up in northeastern Pennsylvania, uh, small town, and uh, ever since I was a kid, I just loved the toy with uh, at the time, you know pre-internet computers like the commodore 64 and i got myself a 300 baud modem and uh i ended up hooking up with a, a friend that taught me 8086. i'm sorry uh, 6502 assembly and getting a a bulletin board set up with this 300 baud modem you know friends are like what the hell's the matter with you like what wh- what is this stuff this is weird this is for geeks right
2: mm.
1: you know and uh it went on and on and on and I had many people saying, I'll never forget this. They're like, man, people aren't going to have computers. Only geeks have computers. This is something that's never going to catch on. This is really strange and weird. And, you know, the sooner you accept that and get out of this world, the better you'll be in society and getting into some sort of a normal life. I don't know what a normal life is. That's not pretty pretty stupid. And I, I think back and I look to where we are today and wow, are they wrong? Um, so. I never pursued a technical degree and I don't regret it, but I never pursued a technical degree. I I was always in technology, Mm. but I went into business. I did a number of different jobs. And um, around 2000, I I became a full-time musician and uh, I loved it. It was great. I was, you know, I got to be my own boss and play the music that I love and it was great. And the money was good. And the money was good, and then the money wasn't so good, and then the money wasn't so good. <laughs> um, I ended up getting out and helped build uh, a background investigator team for federal a uh, federal government contractor, mm-hmm. and did that for a while, built, built a number of different teams, uh, got into HR for a while, and then senior HR leadership, and then most recently, I got into where I should be, into software engineering. Um, what, what defines me? So when I was one of the interviewers for a reverse engineering gig years ago, we had people coming out of school, you know, computer science majors, and even masters of computer science. And we'd interview them for a reverse engineering role. And, uh, as much education that they had, and they'd been involved in many CTFs, they couldn't handle some of the most basic, reversing skills in x86 or let alone arm or even any other kind of microcontroller stuff and eventually i'll never forget one of the interviewers interviewees was like well you know i went through school i did everything i was supposed to do um how do i get started why can't i get a job here well you can't meet the lcats or labor cats you know but what he said stuck to me he's like well again (laughs) i don't get these skills in school I can't find a book that teaches me what you want to do. So how do I do this? I didn't have an answer. So I thought to myself, I really need to you know, get serious about this and start writing a reverse engineering course tutorial. So for many years, I spent writing it from scratch. And um, today, if you Google reverse engineering tutorial, it's number one on Google. Um, people like it. They like it. It's free. Number one, I believe in free education. I believe in universal education. Um, But it takes you at the very beginning. It's not this very sexy hacker. This is where, you know, what you need to do and exactly what you need to do and and launch you into something in the outer space that people can't keep up with. It takes you into what is a computer? What does computer architecture look like, et cetera, et cetera. But it, slowly takes you through a progression, a story um, of how you can actually begin to understand the hardware and ultimately then reverse engineer at a very basic level. Um, So that's where I spent most of my time. Today, professionally, um, I handle the uh, develop integrations from a distributed system for a malware intrusion detection system.
2: Nice.
1: For a division outside of Comcast called Blue Vector, mm. and uh, in my free time, I teach. Uh, it's very important to me that uh, I can do what I can to make sure there is opportunity for those that want to get into this field to do what they love. And uh, that's me uh, lecturing for quite some time, and uh, that you know that that's it in a nutshell.
0: That's pretty awesome. Um, so one thing that struck me, I was doing some, some Googling on my own um, of you and, and is some of the music. The music is awesome, by the way. Thank um, you. Yeah. So I, I, I come from a musical background as well. I played bass uh, when I was in high school uh, for bands and, and didn't take anywhere. But, you know, it was really interesting. And now I do some electronic stuff. Um, but it goes, it goes to show that most people that have been in the industry as long as we have, and do the things that we do, have a creative streak um, and either be, you know, everybody I've interviewed either does, uh, you know, some sort of art, whether it be literature or, or drawing and painting or music or whatever. Everybody seems to have that, that knack for some kind of creativity. Um, and I think that's really important in our industry. Um, so reverse engineering, I, I, you know, I got into the computers about the same time you did with Commodore 64. Um, I think I was maybe 12 when, when I got my first Commodore 64 oh, yeah. and uh, I'll never forget it, um, you know, press play on tape. And, and, you know, I had this game, it was a psychology game and you're talking to a therapist and, yeah. you know, you're asking her questions and she's asking questions. It was just really interesting um, how that, that all worked together. Um, and I miss those days, you know, it was very simple, very simplistic. You didn't have to worry about internet connection. Um, and then it stepped up to the 14.4 modem, uh, which is what I start out with. Yeah. Uh, and it was really interesting times. I mean, it moved so fast uh, from the time of, you know, Commodore 64 to Windows 3.1 to NT to just Windows, period. Um, but I, I was not one that, that took on to the whole Windows system thing. Um, I wanted something outside of, of the mainstream. Uh, and I'm glad I did because I got a chance to, to see... Uh, the other side of the fence when it came to computing. Um, so I, I, I haven't done a ton of reverse engineering. I recently did one for a financial company on an EXE uh, that they had produced. Um, and I'm still kind of working on that a little bit. Uh, but reverse engineering is one of those things that it takes a lot of in-depth skill. It's not just being able to run something through IDAPRO. Or you know, being able to do a behavioral analysis—it's understanding how the components and everything within a system works together, as well as the language that's used to, to communicate back and forth. Um, and I don't think a lot of people understand that. You know, when I ask you know some people what reverse engineering is to them, they tell me, "Oh, well, it's taking malware into a sandbox to see how it behaves." You know, that that's like a ten thousand foot view of the beginning. Of analysis, not even in depth analysis. Um, and you could just, you could go down a rabbit hole with reverse engineering. I mean, there's so much and, and there's so many uh, interesting parts to it. What would you say like your favorite for reverse engineering job, like the, the, the best project that you've ever done with reverse engineering and why it was so interesting to you?
1: So that's a great question. And I wanna to touch upon the art segment of it because <clears throat> I think in a lot of ways, you do see this argument of math and computer science versus art and literature. Sometimes you you might say, so I challenge that notion. Um, The problem is we don't have enough people with the math and computer science that can think creatively because having a great mathematical mind, computer science background is very, very important. But if you can't think creatively, it's going to be very, very hard to reverse engineer or even engineering. And and I don't think a lot of people talk about that. Um, So that leads me to your question. I don't mean to get off topic. Um, Probably looking at the solar winds attack. So coming from, you know, I'm, I know binaries very well. I know, uh, you know, reversing C and assembly and I'm feeling pretty confident. This is awesome. And I hear about the solar winds thing and I'm okay. You know, I'm, I'm in late in the game and I'm, I want to, I want to examine this myself. Mm-hmm. It's a .NET binary. It's a high level language. The, the source code's right out there. You get dnSpy, and it's out there. Well, how, this can't be hard. How do we miss this? Is <laughs> it, you know, arrogant? What's up with this? Started to look into it. The way that they took advantage of people's attitudes like I had, blew me away. They would base 64 strings inside an innocuous update. It was called the business systems update for SolarWinds Orion product. And the brilliance of it, once they infected you, it, when the when you ran the update, the leg, what appeared to be a legitimate update, it slept for 12 days minimum. Mm-hmm. No antivirus is going to find it. Between day 12 and 14, it randomized a seed to come alive and start enumerating the Windows registry to disable all of its functionality, but it wouldn't be persistent until the system admin actually rebooted the machine. So there'd be no flags and the system came back up at a very point in time, it's then completely vulnerable. Then and only then will it start using encryption to start sending itself through a web shell and exfiltrating data that no one will ever know. Ultimately FireEye was the first to catch this Mm -hmm. and it, um, you know, it persisted through many government agencies and whatnot. So what does this teach me? It it teaches me that we are not as creative as we need to be. Um, Again, I'm not going to downplay the computer science and the mathematics of it. I'm not going to do that, but it takes a certain level of creativity to think differently, to find something like this. And I think that's the kind of unique talent that we need today is someone that you know, maybe has done a little music, done a little art, and has a little bit of background for computer science that can look at a binary, be intimidated, or a... What would appear to be a higher level language and you're decompiling it, but you're, you're seeing a strange series of hash tables or base 64, you know, the strings and being able to figure out what it's actually doing. We're, we're in a different world today. It's a very challenging world. And I'm hoping all of us and our contributions can help inspire and train the next generation so that we can start to deal with these kind of things on a scalable level. So that yeah. was probably the most interesting thing. And it, it, it was as of late.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The, the solar winds uh, attack was really interesting. Um, and, you know, I, I knew when, when I first saw it it had nation state written all over it because of the fact that it was hitting some of the, the agencies and companies that it was hitting um, and really exfiltrating data out of those places. Uh, and I've got my own theories as far as like, you know, ransomware and some of the, attacks that we see that we assume are commercial and financially motivated, uh, but tend to be more intelligence driven and and looking for specific pieces of data. Um, But I always find it really interesting. I think the very first one that I did some behavioral analysis on and uh, sandboxing and actually looking at the way it, uh, it worked with the system was impact. Um, Impact was really interesting with the the fact that it was keeping track of the countries and and the IP addresses and and the way that the system was behaving. Um, I found that really interesting. I had never done any kind of reverse engineering before. Uh, I was always, you know, focused on, you know, compromising systems and and the way systems behaved and and operated. Um, Wasn't really into the whole reversing part until I actually started getting my hands on malware. And I think at that point, um, I went through a lot of iterations of how do I collect as much malware as possible um, so I could reverse it? Uh, because within that malware, I was finding attacks. I was finding exploits. And I was finding things that that I wouldn't normally find in areas that I usually looked. Uh, and I think that's the that's a brilliance of, of reverse engineering is not only do you get a chance to, to see how it operates, but it tells you a little bit about the person that wrote it or the people or group that wrote it. And I think that's super important today because there's so many different groups that are involved in developing these, this software and this code um, that you can't really keep a pulse on it unless you know signatures that you're looking for within that code that says, "Oh, hey, I know that developer. I know that. I know that group." Um, so, do you have do you have any side projects or any research projects that, that you do as far as like? Looking at all the different types of malware and maybe like keeping up with with you know what's coming out and who's who's producing it.
1: Yeah, most of that is just pure research and experimentation. Um, I have my own theory. So we have the five eyes, which are allied nations that share intelligence. I believe there is the equivalent of what I refer to in my CTF challenges that I create called the dark eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are a very talented group of Russians, Chinese, North Koreans, I don't know what other nations that are brilliant and coordinated that have put together a lot of these techniques that have attacked us. And in a lot of ways we are divided and distracted and they are not. And I look at a piece of malware and I do try to find signatures or commonalities. What group wrote this? What what is their vulnerability? What are they doing? And I do see a lot of similarities. So the media will have you believe that they're all distributed groups. They might be, who knows? I think there are a core group that share intelligence, that are coming at us. Um, so the answer to your question is, I spend a lot of time looking at individual pieces of malware, being completely overwhelmed by the hashing algorithms that they're doing to, <laughs> I mean, I can't statically reverse a lot of binaries today. You're, you're unfortunately dynamically mm-hmm. running them. and. And re- like some people can actually resolve the the hash tables statically. I, I'm not that person. I have to step through it and see what it actually is. And I'm not terribly strong on Windows internals either, which is also sets me a little bit behind, um, which is also a challenge. But no, I mean, I just, I continue to look at everything coming out of coming down the pike and trying to better understand what their mind is thinking and, mm-hmm. um, I have a series of CTFs called uh, the Angels of Death, which is part of our DC 540 um, DEF CON group Mm -hmm. that I put out to try to help people and educate them and get them uh, working in CTFs that are kind of non-traditional to sharpen skills to try to contribute. But that's a great question, Mike. And um, I don't know if there is a real good way today other than just kind of look what's coming out and. Continue to be awestruck. And I would say to anybody new coming into this field, don't be arrogant. Um, be humble. Be hungry. Um, talk to people in this industry, learn, research, and try to contribute where you can. Because when you're coming into this, whether you admit it to yourself or not, you're overwhelmed.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. This
1: is an overwhelming field. And just understand that's good that you should feel that way, but humility and patience, I think, will help you to better yourself and be able to contribute to this very very critical industry.
0: Oh yeah, for you know, sure. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And there's so many principles to, to dive off into. Um, I remember I really got into to malware and honeypots for a long time. Um, you know, back during the Honey D project. And then Nepenthes and, and Dianaea and stuff like that. Like, I, I ran so many Nepenthes honeypots. Um, and I just thought it was so exciting, you know, when I would trap something and be able to take a look at, at the binary or, or look at the hash. Um, it was just really exciting to me. You know, it was like finding Easter eggs during, you know, during Easter when I was a kid. You know, it's just, just really interesting to see what's floating out there. And then I started developing um, and throwing out there some honey honeypots and some uh, SIP honeypots. And the things that I was finding was just unreal. And a lot of people that I, that I would talk to, oh, well, you know, that, that doesn't really serve a purpose. But to me, it did because it gave me an idea of what was actually going on behind the scenes um, to be able to look at the trends and, and analyze, you know, not only the types of malware or, or behavior, but time of day. And look at, you know, who was doing what and and what scripts were being ran to to distribute this this malware. Um, And that's kind of what got me really into the career path was messing with that, um, looking at how to break systems and and really understanding the dynamics of of computing and looking at how to uh, defeat certain mechanisms. I think that's what really got me excited. Uh, but, you know, you brought up something that, that I thought was really interesting is the fact that people ask you, you know, how do I get a job? How, you know, how do I work here? You know, when when I was a kid and getting into this field, we didn't have Google. We, we didn't have terabytes of data to sift through and, and all the answers were contained in this big black eight ball called Google. Um, we had nothing like that. It was, you know... It, you had to learn from friends or, or mess around by yourself or, I mean, even like literature wise, there weren't a whole lot of books. There weren't a whole lot of walkthroughs. It was literally just figure the shit out on your own. Uh, and I like that. I, and I wish that it was more like that now um, because I do see a lot of people taking advantage of other people as well as, you know, really not putting forth the effort to go out and learn things. Um, they either want to do it by osmosis. Or be like they're waiting for the queen to come knight them and tap on the shoulder of the sword. Um, you know, it drives me nuts. I, I I miss the days where you actually had to learn uh, what a tool was doing and, and why it was doing it, rather than just clicking something and, and it happens. Um, and I thought I think reverse engineering and some of that activity for me came from buying devices and plugging them in. And looking at what it was doing, you know, pulling up a sniffer and, and looking at what traffic was going back and forth, uh, looking at log files. And really, as an industry, we've gotten so far away from that now. And I think we're dumbing ourselves down because we have all these platforms that do that stuff automatically. And we're not having to go dig for that shit. We're not having to analyze it because it comes up in this alert on the screen. And, oh, then the analysts go, oh, well, we have this going on. And the first thing I ask them is, what does that mean? And there's not a whole lot of people that can tell me. And I think that's really sad because where we start out from pure, I looked at it as an art form. We start out as a pure art and we've gotten to the point where we've commercialized and bastardized what we used to do. And now it's become this commercial mechanism to where everything is automated, but yet we keep preaching education, but we're not enabling that, I don't think.
1: So that's really it, Mike. So that's really it, Mike. That, that is really it. So what do I mean by that? Um, Automation is good, but if you don't understand what is being automated,
2: mm-hmm.
1: first of all, how good is that? Secondly, if we just trust automation, well, if, if we're an attacker, we're going to very quickly, what is the automation doing? And don't do that. Exactly. <laughs> it's that simple. <laughs> Where if you're dealing with 100,000 individuals with a, creative mind, well, you don't know what they're thinking. When you look at a half dozen to maybe less than a hundred different automation platforms, understanding what their patterns of what they're looking for, it is easier to obfuscate. So when you are that analyst relying on simple automation and not understanding what's actually going on, it does put you at a significant disadvantage. And that's a very challenging thing. Because, again, like, we don't emphasize a lot of critical thinking that is art and music and science together. And and just saying, what is this thing doing? Talk about it in a very non-technical level well it's doing x y and z it's enumerating this it's doing that. okay are these patterns that you've seen before and start talking about it from a a more abstract um, way rather than just relying on tools to then really generating and pushing forth a mindset of people that it's okay to think outside the box because that's what we need to do if we're going to really combat this. This isn't, uh, as, as much as I love engineering, where you're given a set of requirements and you develop on C, Python, Java. Mm. No, this is, you don't know what you're dealing with, figure this out. <laughs> Very different. And I'm, I'm with you, Mike, because I, I don't think we foster that kind of environment from... For whatever reason, I'm sure that there's well, they're, we, we both know there's many reasons, but right. that's what's going to be our downfall if we don't start training people to think and look at things holistically rather than through the eyes of the tool. Again, automation is good. Automation is good for maybe deobfuscating some encryption algorithms or. Um, doing some grunt work when you're doing a static analysis or something, but just relying on something on its own to tell you what you need to be is, is uh, that's part of the problem.
0: Oh yeah. Big time. Um, and one, one thing that that I find a lot of interest in um, a function, a principle of cybersecurity is uh, instant response because you, you're doing a level of reverse engineering. You're, you're You're trying to walk back the steps that the attacker took. and and why he took them and and where he took it to. Um, And I find that super interesting. It's very physically taxing because you're up for days on end uh, trying to help people out, but the information you get is so interesting. But to get people to to think like an attacker is another issue I've always had. Um, Coming from the attacker background, I, I naturally have that, I guess, that mentality um whether that's good or bad i don't know but you know it's just something i was born with but that's one thing i have a difficult time teaching people is you know when when i have an analyst or or when i have a pen tester and saying okay this is the environment what would you do how would you do it and they give you the ob- obvious like pre-canned responses you know there, there is no like really diving down deep and and getting into the nuts and bolts of why they do what they do. Um, And to me, that's the biggest part of reverse engineering that I don't think is an industry we've mastered is reverse engineering, the mentality behind the attackers um, and why they write the code and and why they write it in such a way and why they demonstrate and execute the way they do. Um, And I think, and, and this is just my theory is until we can get a handle on that, it doesn't matter. What tools we have, what kind of automation techniques, what kind of defenses we have. If we can't really truly understand the attacker and reverse engineer the mindset, we're losing.
1: Right. So, to really add on to that, and this is a perfect example, um, some of the future challenges that I'm going to be writing for the Angels of Death series, I'm going to be doing these all in assembly. And nice. uh, the, some of the things that I can do at that level is put in custom pieces of code at the assembly level Mm -hmm. that when you step through it, it's not gonna be an obvious exception handler, but it's gonna break you out of the debugger. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: When you're writing in C or C++, there are a number of structured exception handlers that you will be able to find in assembly, particularly in three is one of them. And there is some obfuscation you can do, But you can just simply patch them out when you understand and master assembly you can write things that you know the cpu is going to trip up on and you will embed that and i'm i'm talking mike i'm talking about giving some secrets away but counting instructions Mm -hmm. and comparing eax for example or you know some of the general purpose registers to a number count when you go through that you're not going to know what that is right so if I'm able to break the debugger, it, you're forcing someone into static analysis. And if I can also, which I can, break the trace, it makes it near impossible to dynamically reverse a binary. So then what are you stuck with? You're stuck with manually stepping through something that could take weeks. There's a perfect example. You know, um, If you think creatively, You might then say, well, maybe I should look into this and understand there might be some techniques that you could do at the assembly level that might be interesting and understand those patterns to get ahead of it. That's just one example. I just wanted to give, I don't want to bore people to sleep, but that's one example, right, of some obfuscation techniques. And I worked through with a number of people the flare-on challenge of 2021. Absolutely brutal. Um, and we saw a lot of this where it's like, oh my God, how are we going to get through this? But luckily, those were still written in C or C. That th- it was hard as it was, they were still known ways that we can break through it. But again, not to blabber on, we have to start thinking, looking at things independently, and thinking more creatively. I would, um, in the computer science, I would probably require some music classes and or creative writing courses for the computer scientists. Um, Maybe public speaking, I don't know. But we have to start integrating that left brain Mm -hmm. into these curriculums if we're going to win, because that's the only way we're going to get through this going forward, in my opinion.
0: Oh, I I totally agree. So when I was in the military, uh, I was getting paid extra money to uh, go to school. I was getting like $1,000 extra. Um, And I was taking courses like science courses. Um, And then I was taking uh, like literature. I took Russian literature. I took psychology. Um, I actually took a course called The Psychology of Death and Dying. Um, Just things I found like super interesting. But I I think that it it requires that level of, I guess, drive or, or interest, right? To, to be able to look at a situation and approach it from all levels, right? From a creative standpoint. Um, you know, I, I went to art school for a while. Um, you know, it's just different ways to solve a problem. Yeah. And I think that in, you know, everybody has their own opinions about certifications and, and you know, requirements. But I think that certifications in a way has narrowed, a lot of people's minds to a specific small area, right? And, oh, we require this cert, you must know this. So they're focusing all their attention on this one, the, on the minutia of what that job really encompasses. I mean, look at all the soft skills it requires to work at cybersecurity. You have to be able to communicate, you know, you have to be able to write, you have to be able to look at things from a creative standpoint. Um, but yet all that these companies are requiring are a minimal of a certification so i mean at what point do we say hey we've micro focused down way too much and maybe instead of just requiring a certification maybe we, we require um, some sort of you know training program whether it be arts and literature or science um, something outside of cybersecurity, because we have a tendency to think oh well cyber cyber security is the end all be all of everything and and we just have to focus on this when really if we put those skills and, and those, those classes and, and that creativity to work, I mean, no telling how good we could be as an industry rather than just focusing on the minutia.
1: So so case in point. So let's say Mike, you and I are in, in Moscow and we, we, we've mm-hmm. turned, we've turned to color and uh, we happen to be big, big pink Floyd fans. And mm-hmm. um we understand there is certification Z that makes you a cybersecurity expert in the United States. So two things, three things we're going to do. We're we're going to, we're going to drink. Okay. And then when we're not drinking, we might sleep a little bit, maybe eat a little bit. We're going to learn what those certification is for Z. What are they looking for? What are they teaching? Mm -hmm. And we're going to deliberately go around every single one of those corners and we're going to have so much fun fucking with them Yep. because they're thinking we're going to play with them though, because we're going to give them breadcrumbs of what they're expecting. And then we're going to have fun as we circumvent them and bring them down paths that they'll never work their way out of. And we might use some, our own Pink Floyd references, whatever. It doesn't matter what band um, references that, we're going to have fun with we're genuinely going to enjoy ourselves Mm -hmm. and they're going to struggle if you bring somebody in with a fresh mindset that maybe doesn't understand the engineering very much Mm -hmm. but this technically sophisticated person is talking through in a non-emotional way of what's happening and they see different sort of things and if you think creatively you might actually start to be able to say, these people are screwing with you. They're taking you down this road. This isn't where it's going, right? Yep. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a far out-
0: It makes sense example, though.
1: But I, it's, right? <laughs> it's
0: total, it makes total sense. You know, yeah. and, it, and as attackers, we do that all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the, one of the funnest things I did when it came to hacking was trying to get into a company, right? And I would look at their job job postings and the requirements. And within the requirements, I knew exactly what version of the systems they were running based on what they wanted you to know to have that job. So, I mean, they were doing all the work for me. And I would actually go in and interview for the company, right. sit down and quiz them as much as they're quizzing me. And by the time I walked out, I already had a roadmap for the entire network. Right. Um, but people don't think that way. And I, I think that's the, a, a huge downfall in our industry. That and, you know, I don't know how many certs I've seen that are in English as opposed to, I mean, is there a lot of German certification companies? Is there a lot of Russian certification companies? Nobody hears about it, right? right. I mean, I, I don't I don't go to, you know, Moscow and, and right. get a CEH. They don't need right. a CEH. Right. <laughs> but they're so much more well-equipped for what they're doing. I mean, if you look at success rate for, you know, let's say North Korea, uh yeah. russia when it comes to compromising networks they're doing something we're not and i think a lot of it has to do with creativity yeah. and the environment yeah. um, i know in north korea they have uh specific units for attackers that yes. they, they they go ahead
1: no i i was gonna say i re, I, re, I used to remember the unit number yeah. there was a unit series of unit numbers that they would focus on that but you're right yeah
0: yeah and most of them work under gunpoint i mean it's not it's not a job it's a requirement. That's your life. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's certain things in our industry that I completely disagree with. And then certifications I think is one. Um, when you go to school, you know, you just start out in like primary school I and mean, you move up to, uh, you know, intermediate high school, college, you're not taking one course, right? It, you're not, you're not graduating these different levels by taking just math. You're taking everything. And it, it, it requires that to be able to function in an adult world. So I, I'm still, I've am still i been racking my brain trying to figure out as an industry where we decided that model did not work and that we only take that one course now.
1: I, I think, again, it's, it's really integrating radically different courses. Look, so you're an art man. You, you've spent some time with art. I haven't, but I, I know a little bit about art. So if we were to walk into a computer science curriculum at the graduate level mm-hmm. and you and I are rolling in a fake Picasso and a real Picasso right mm-hmm. I don't know the shit what I'm talking <laughs> about but you will so you're gonna you know you're gonna make me look good right mm-hmm. so I'm pointing out some of the differences that I see mm-hmm. between a fake and a real and other people don't know right like here's some here's what a, what the real one is I could be lying to them mm-hmm. but you would be able to look at the differentials and it is mathematical. It's mathematical. It's not what you would think is math, but it is mathematical. You're analyzing the binary, the painting in a way that others may not. And it's, again, it's that creativity. Or if you think music, you hear your favorite guitarist or your favorite music, you will notice a tonality or a guitar signature. Um, like for me, it's So Like you will hear the signature and I know what that is. And or the cadence
0: too, the timing.
1: The cadence. Yeah. And, you know, they put deliberate stops in. Um, but this is no different in malware. It's no different. Right. It's no different. But uh, you and- would never, you would never hear a computer science critic ever talk about anything we're talking about right now. they are like, God, that- a bunch of crazies.
0: I think that's I think that's why I made such quick quick advancement in cybersecurity it was the fact that I've never taken a computer course. I yeah. had to learn the things by myself and and through my own discovery and and really trying to to understand like to to try to get to where I thought everybody else was because I put everybody else up here because they had all these degrees and they were so smart. When they talked, it was just so elegant. I was so rough around the edges, and I thought. I'm going to have to work my ass off to catch up to these guys. Um, and I did, I, I, I really tried hard. And, you know, I still think that most of the industries up here, I may be like right below the top. Um, and I, I think that comes with with a little bit of uh, imposter syndrome, as well as, you know, I just don't have those qualifications. And I think it's such a horrible thing that we do people in the industry is, require them to be this or be that, you know, why can't we just accept for, you know, what they do know in their mind? Because to me, I can take somebody who doesn't have a degree, who doesn't have tons of hours of college in computer science and make them a great hacker or a great defender just based on how they think. And and because really that's all it takes is being able to understand how they process and how they troubleshoot. I remember I went to a a interview in Redmond for Microsoft and it was for a, a position that I was actually, actually going to be um, a supervisor and a manager of code scrubbers. So they would do the code scrubbing. They would give it to me and say, hey, you know, what do you think about this? Do you think it's ready to go and, and you know, be released? Or should we put it back in production? And so I'm thinking ahead of time going, oh, my God, I've got I've to learn all these things. I've got to make sure I know this operating system inside and out. Uh, you know, I really feel like I'm um, at a deficit here. So I fly up there. And, you know, I go to the first interview and the lady sitting in a room, really cluttered room. I mean, her office was, was shit. I mean, there was stuff everywhere. <laughs> and she asked me a question. She says, uh, I'm thinking of an object in this room. And it's your job to figure out what that object is by asking the least amount of questions. And I thought, what the fuck have I done? I've, I've sat there and poured over these books for, for months trying to get ready for this. And it has nothing to do with what they're asking. But I think that's the beauty in it. Like companies like Microsoft and Google, they don't care what certifications you have. Yes, it's a requirement, but they're more interested in how your mind works. And I I think that as an industry, we've completely lost that. Um, You know, we we look at, we're getting very binary. We're looking at if you don't have a degree, if you do have a degree, if you have a cert, if you don't have a cert, it's either on or off, one or zero. Um, Life's not like that. And the internet is definitely not like that. You know, the temperament of the internet is definitely not on or off. It's chaos. Right. Um, so, I mean, I don't think we're equipping the, the industry for the right type of defender or the right type of scientist. I think that, you know, we're falling behind in that. Um, and I, I don't know what the answer is. You know, we have we supposedly have a skills gap, um, but I think the real skills gap is the hiring process. I, I don't think it's the actual people. I think it's the requirements you know, and I preach about this all the time when, when I look at an entry-level job that's posted and they want you to have all these certs, they want you to have all this experience. And this is for an entry-level job. Like what happened to, you know, why don't you come on and spend 90 days learning what we do and we'll let you go and see how you do. You know, there's no more of that. They, they want a for sure answer. Can this job be completed by this person? And, you know it failure is part of, of success. And I think companies have forgotten that too.
1: So let's, let's break that down a bit. So let's say I'm getting a, a degree, whatever degree and a series of shirts. So it's a, a degree and series of certifications. So mm-hmm. I get the training to make sure that I pass these tests. Mm-hmm. I may learn. I may not. Who knows? I don't know. You may learn. You may not. Who knows? But once I get to that threshold, I sit, I sit my ass down on the couch comfortably mm-hmm. Open up myself a big bag of nachos and I'm just going to town and I'm watching people like you struggle. Mm-hmm. Looking at people like me saying, I should be, I'm not saying me and you, but I'm talking in right, general. Right. Right. You've achieved this, you should be this. Mm-hmm. There's an arrogance that comes with that and there's a hunger that comes from humility. Mm-hmm. And you're right, because it's the people that are out there struggling to try to get to that level. And they're going through non-conventional means. Yep. They're going to be thinking differently. They're going to be forced to act differently and manipulate differently and evolve differently than the person that was given a certain track. So the person that's in job A and you're trying to get to job A as well, you may not get there because you didn't play that game. And ultimately, this person's getting their ass handed to them in the job because they aren't thinking creatively anymore. Or maybe they never thought creatively to begin with. Today and going forward, we're going to be dealing with drones that are going Mm -hmm. to be delivering packages, not people. It's unfortunate. We are going to be dealing with drones that are going to be assassinating people. Mm -hmm. We are going to deal with automated weapons and automated personnel of of, 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 who knows what that looks like automated vehicles Mm -hmm. that are going to the future like it or not is going to be very, very different. It's going to be very, very technical, but if we're going to start thinking about a defense, we have to start thinking creatively Mm -hmm. on how we can get creative solutions to that. So you know, just started without getting into a, a long lecture series. Um, I just wanted to point out that mindset. I am like you, we're hungry to learn. I want to learn. i want to keep learning. I'm hungry to learn. I'm humble. Um, I want to keep learning. I don't know everything. I get into a new situation and I'm overwhelmed and I admit it, oh, yeah. but yeah. I want to learn and I want to think creatively. You know, when I'm, when I'm looking at a challenge, I'm thinking about music. I'm thinking about art. I'm thinking about, all sorts of shit Mm -hmm. that, you know, may drive my mind here or there, but you know, I'm like, Oh, wait a minute. That's very similar. That kind of thing. Oh, maybe that's applicable here rather than just staying on focus and checking off boxes.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, I don't know if we're going to get there, Mike. I don't know. I don't know how or what we do to fill the engineering gap, Mm -hmm. but a lot of it is in hiring and people don't want to take a chance on someone that's an unknown.
0: Right. Or, or not orthodox, you know, they're, they're unorthodox right. and they come from a background that, that may have a challenge or, or hurdles. Um, one, one thing that you pointed out, the drone, um, I watched, well, I actually read about the UK is going to have the first driverless drone to transport people from point A to point B. And it's like a helipad and they're building it in London. In Canary Wharf, which was like not very far from where I was living. Um and they're so far ahead. Like I, I just, you know, when I see that and I'm like, you know, I remember when I was a kid watching the Jets was my favorite cartoon as a kid. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: And I remember the the cars and the robots and all the <laughs> shit. And and here it is, you know, 20 years later, and I'm like, man, this shit's really happening. Like my dream cartoon is coming real. Like it's becoming real. I
1: uh, watched
0: I watched a show today. Um uh, I may have downloaded it or pirated it. Uh, I won't have been to it, though. Uh, but it's called Free Guy. And it, it you know it has Ryan Reynolds in it. And they, the whole gist of, of the movie was they were in this game. Um, it's sort of like a Sims game. And all these players were focused on killing all the, the NPCs, the non-player characters, right? And this non-player character was AI and started developing feelings, developing this, this thought of, hey, I don't want to be an NPC. I want to be a player. I, I want to live. And so he That's fought true. against the game maker. It was, it was brilliant. And, you know, I spent like an hour and a half watching. I was just like, you know, I, I can see stuff like this happening down the road. You know, and I think we're at a very exciting time for the industry and for the world in general. I mean, the internet brought us closer together, whether that, whether that is dangerous or, or good or bad or indifferent or all the above. Um, it brought us closer together and made things easier. But at the same time, it's forced people to become more intelligent. It's forced people to develop quicker and develop skills that, that we never had to have before. And no telling where it's going to take us. I think it's really exciting. You know, when I look down the road, I, I, I hope that I'm alive when, when cars are no longer touching the ground. Like I, that's what I want to see. But like you said, it's going to take that, that creative mind, it's going to take people like Elon Musk. The non-orthodox, you know, the, the crazy rich with a wild sense of imagination and creativity to create that environment. You know, if you would have told me uh, ten years ago that we would be talking like this through a computer, or maybe twenty years ago, if you'd have told me that I was going to be talking to you through Zoom <laughs> and, and we were going to record this, I would have told you you're fucking crazy, and I'm sure the rest of the world would have too. Exactly. But now look what we're doing. You know, yeah. it's it's amazing. So I think, I just think it's really exciting. And I think that you know this conversation has really hit home with me as a, the force of creativity and innovation. And without creative minds in the industry, we're going to get stagnant. And I think we're getting to that point because if you look at the defense mechanisms that we have, they're not a whole lot different than the first IDS. Ooh. They have a little couple of bells and whistles and algorithms thrown in there, but it's still the same type of product but we need more creative minds in the, in the industry to push us even further.
1: So that I'll also go into this as when I, we started the conversation mm. about how refreshing it was to meet all of you and be a part of this. This is a community where people that are new into this can come in here and ask questions and not be afraid of being judged. And this is what I'm interested, point me in a direction and we're not mm. going to Chastise you or whatever, and you be free to go forward. Mm. I think these kind of things, like what you've developed, Mike, with with Kim, and it, it's a real, genuine grassroots movement of technology. It is not. I don't begrudge corporations trying to make a living. And God bless them, but it's it's a genuine space where someone can come in and feel like a, a family member and being able to grow and share. And I don't think you see a lot of this. I think you see a lot of groups that are either trying to sell a product or a byproduct of a corporation arm, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: but they're not a genuine grassroots movement from a technological standpoint. So I think there's great value in what you have. And I'm hoping others will join us um, so that they can come in and again, not integrate with us, Mm -hmm. but expand us share the knowledge share some crazy fucking ideas that might be radical or insane whatever exactly, but you exactly. know maybe we all learn from it and maybe we become better and maybe we then can say we are this group that thinks very differently and we start talking about real life events and publishing them and people are like fucking people are crazy uh,
2: yeah.
1: but then they were right, I, but it, I, I'm gonna go check this out.
0: <laughs> exactly, it takes that it takes that craziness to, to really innovate, right? So yeah. the two, my two idols in the world, one's dead, one's out in left field somewhere. But Einstein, people thought he was mad, people thought he was insane, but he was the most brilliant, you know. And I have an actual painting on the wall of, of Einstein because I, when I walk into my flat, I like to be reminded that. Hey, at one point people thought he was nuts, but now we look back and go, man, he was like shit, you know? And my other idol is Elon Musk yeah. as crazy as he, as he may be as off the wall and eccentric, he knows what he's doing and he's doing it from an unorthodox standpoint and an unorthodox method, but it's fucking working and people, you know, what, what I found really interesting with both of them, right? Elon Musk, people have tried to tear him down his entire life. Right, discredit him, um, try to get photos of him smoking weed with somebody, you know. I I mean, things that humans humans are fallible, humans make mistakes, humans act like humans, but they tear those people down, even though that they're brilliant minds and they're innovators, they're they are what keeps us moving in the right direction. But people get so sidetracked with shit, and that's what kills me about the industry is. You know, when somebody gets compromised, your company gets compromised, we're not looking at, and, and I hate to say this, and it may sound bad to the companies, but some of these attacks are beautiful. Like the way they're orchestrated, I mean, you just have to sit back and admire it. When I was doing an IR and one of my friends called me up and he was working on the same thing. He said, uh, you'll never believe this. They actually went to the Nimble and was encrypting the Nimble. Like, I was like, that's beautiful. Like, <laughs> yeah. there's not, I mean, I just had to laugh. I was like, okay, well, you know, it's a new game, you know? Yeah. But I, I, I don't think that everybody looks at things the same way that I do or, or maybe that you do or, or whoever. Um, but I think we need to understand how people look at things and try to relate. Instead of tearing people down, try to relate and try to evolve as a group. You
1: know? so, so, so that's the thing, too. So when, when you mentioned two people, uh, Einstein and Musk, two things they had in common. Mm-hmm. We talked about checking off the boxes and sitting on the couch and being <laughs> comfortable and stretching out. And you know, life's pretty good. I am the shit. Mm-hmm. Neither one of these individuals, as powerful and as influential as they are, what, they do, what do they do? You look at Musk. Mm-hmm. He's up at 4 a.m. Mm-hmm. He has yes. a ritual of learning, humbling himself,
2: mm-hmm.
1: continuing to learn, continuing to progress, stay on target, stay focused, keep learning. Einstein, again, same thing, keep developing, keep fighting with Niels Bohr and his, 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 you know, his colleagues, <laughs> and, but keep running the race. Long distance runners rather than sprinters. Two things they had in common. Dedication, humility, wanting to keep learning and being creative. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And that's very hard because most people want to be able to, unfortunately, check off a number of boxes, sit back and just let the love flow. But Mm -hmm. this ain't the business for it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, and it, I mean, it, I know for myself, like if I had to recreate myself, I don't know how many times, you know, I, I would have that nine to five mm-hmm. job, making 180 grand a year. Yep. And then something would happen in the industry or with the company or with That's me, right. and I would have to start over again. But yep. I, I've always found it interesting to be able to start over again, like this job, you know, I took a huge pay cut going yep. to this job, but the people I work with, there's no way that I could find the same people ever in one place. Um, and the job itself is super interesting and challenging, right? So I'm learning something new every day. I'm running a blue team at the same time, helping out the red team and doing instant response. Like it's everything in one. And to me, that, that keeps me, keeps me going. And I think another thing too, that makes people successful is the fact that they don't look to master something. They, they don't accept the fact that they've mastered or they're an expert in something because right. there's always so much more to learn. You know, and I try to study everything widely, right? Not just defense, not just offense, not even just cybersecurity. You know, I still do art and I still mess with electronics and music. And to me, when you're learning with everything across the board, every little principle that that you're involved with seems to get better and you seem to advance. So I I think that the, the industry is really interesting, but I think the people are what make the industry interesting. And I think the grassroots and, and sort of the, you know, I hate to say it, it's kind of like a sixties fuck the system type attitude yeah. that yeah. actually <laughs> makes shit work.
1: Kim mentioned something in chat, you know, it's their art. So mm-hmm. I think going back to some of the things we talked about when the enemy is putting together uh, an attack, it is their art.
0: Art of war. Yep.
1: And they know our rigid structure. And they take great pleasure in exploiting that because they don't have those bounds. They are artists. Okay. But when none of us think of it this way, we think of, you know, they're going to do this and you should expect this and you should, you should expect nothing, right? Expect nothing. Go into every challenge, expecting nothing, looking at what the facts are mm not being blind that, Oh, this looks like a familiar pattern. Let's just keep going down. No. Right. Think about what this may actually be. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I keep going back. I think there's hope. And I think there's hope because of groups like ours, because, and hopefully we'll have more of these, like we had at the, um, at the annual celebration, we go, oh, we will and bullshit, share ideas, Ooh. be crazy, be stupid. Um, be inspired by each other and think differently. Um, I think, again, this is the beginning of how we actually combat this in a real way.
0: Yeah, I agree too. And I think that, you know, you brought up the, the one year anniversary and how we all got together. Yeah. And that's something that, that that's I great. think that, I mean, it was awesome. And I think when I first got involved with like DEF CON, DEF CON used to be that for me. DEF yeah. CON used to be that place. But over time, it's become so commercialized. It's become so, I guess, mainstream um, that it lost that 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 original, genuine feeling to me. You know, and I think that you know, we were talking during the anniversary. You know, maybe we'll put something on. Maybe you know, we'll do a haunted uh, conference and just do yeah. it. You know, here in Chattanooga or, or wherever. Yeah. Um, and just get together and, and brainstorm and just build shit. You know, and that's that's what I enjoy. I enjoy like learning what other people are doing. You know, their research projects and and asking questions and and why they're doing it. Um, But I think it's so important to have that camaraderie, but in a non-commercial, non-corporate manner, because corporations and the industry puts things in boxes. And I'm a I'm a round peg, you can't shove me into a square box. So. I need to be somewhere where I feel free and I can, I can create. Um, And I think a lot of people are like that. Uh, But yeah, I, I think it's going to be exciting for the group. Um, You know, we've gone through different revisions and and rebuilding and and restructuring and and trying to figure out where we're headed as a group. Um, And I I think that just this conversation alone has really given me a lot of insight into my own thinking and, and where I think we should be going um and it's gonna take people like us to to go that direction. Um, it's not gonna be, you know, the, the people that are handing out certs and stuff like that or corporations. I think it's gonna to have to be, you know, people, actual genuine people. Um, but dude, I, I appreciate you being on the show. Like it's been a blessing. This this conversation we had, I think that I've been wanting to have for a long time. I'm glad you were the person to help me with this. Um I love your ideas and I, I think we should have some more offline chats and, and see where we can take this. Definitely. So yeah, I want yeah. to thank
1: you and Kim for, you yeah. know, really welcoming me and, uh, I'm excited to be part of the family and, uh, you know, just keep, uh, pushing the bar forward.
0: Yeah, uh, Absolutely. What the absolutely. Hell happens? Yeah. So before we go, is there anything, any questions you want to ask me or, or about, you know, what I do or about the group or, or anything in general?
1: I think, I mean, I, I think what, I'm just really excited to see where we're going to go. Right. Um, I wanna see us grow as a family and how we can get others like, I take it back to the beginning of our conversation where they were so frustrated in an interview, like, you're trying to challenge me on things that I've never been trained on. You give me, I'll learn, I'm, I'm not lazy, just point me in a direction, let me, you know, how do I learn, right? I think group like this, if we can continue to get our name out there Mm -hmm. to people that want to get into this industry, invite them in, let them tell their story, let them feel comfortable Mm -hmm. that builds confidence. Then they grow. We learn from each other. I think honestly, that's the solution, Mike. I just. uh,
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think letting people be themselves
1: is, is key
0: and understanding that, that, you know, people we're all human um we may think differently we may come from different backgrounds we may not make everybody happy all the time but we're still humans, and and we still have the same goal you know not nothing changes um it's been a pleasure and uh i look forward to more conversations like this in the future and uh that's it man i really appreciate it thank you thank you mike thank you kim talk to you guys soon talk to you soon all right take care